football video games, a modern phenomena which allows us football fans to fulfil our fantasies, to manage our club, sign the stars of the future and see our names up in pixelated lights. But whilst FIFA Pro Evo, even This Is Football, can offer realistic gameplay, they don't always get their player ratings quite right. This episode celebrates the beneficiaries of this, the names who thrived on the console but didn't deliver on the pitch. Nintendo, crowning the cult legends of nostalgic football video games. Arthur, hello. Hello, Ben. I'm delighted that you mentioned This Is Football as well. One of my favourites growing up. Deliberate diving, deliberate fouling. That's the spirit of the game, isn't it, Arthur? Absolutely. I was a massive football manager fan growing up as well. A uh, lot of games that we're going to mention today, albeit I don't think any of them actually played on Nintendo. So I really like your pun there. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've done something very 11, haven't we, in crafting a name for this that has very little to do with the episode itself. I love your work still. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're employing a 4-4-2 formation today. If there's anyone that you think should feature one of those players that led your team to glory on a video game, please do get in touch with us at 11pod, the word and not the number. Between the sticks, Ben. I'm a big fan of FIFA, Arthur. Yes, I grew I up playing that game. Um, and one goalkeeper that stood out to me here was Diego Cavalieri. That certainly rings a bell. I think yeah. it must be through video games. I'm not much of a FIFA man myself, as evidenced by my heavy defeat to you <laughs> uh, uh, when, when we recorded our last episode. Ben wiped the floor with me at FIFA, but I do love the game. Well, Diego Cavalieri was a steal on FIFA's career mode. He was Liverpool's reserve goalkeeper between 2008 and 2010, um, and he had an unfathomably high potential on the FIFA 09 video game. He was rated 75, but he had a potential of 90, which made him the joint fourth highest potential of any goalkeeper in the game, making him better than Hugo Lloris, Pepe Reina and Victor Valdez. Um, wow. I'm not really sure where this prediction came from. Prior to his first season at Liverpool, Cavalieri had played just 66 professional games aged 25, all at Palmeiras in his native Brazil. And sure enough, hope in him would be somewhat misplaced. Despite signing for 3.5 million to Liverpool, he was barely used a cup goalkeeper who never appeared in the Premier League for the club. But beyond Merseyside, his career would improve, maybe not to 90 potential sort of levels, but he became an essential part of Fluminense's title campaign in 2012 over in Brazil. And his displays earned him his debut in the national team and the best goalkeeper award that season. One for you, Arthur. He did also have a did he play there moment when he joined Crystal Palace. What? Yeah, he joined Crystal Palace. Again, he never played a single Premier League game, but he was on their roster for a year too. Well, there we go. That's fantastic. Apart from his video game heroics, making him a must-sign on FIFA 09, there is a very bizarre story on the internet, Arthur, about Diego. 
uh, and actually how he split up with his wife. Cavalieri featured in the background of a photo after Brazil won the Confederations Cup. The image showed Hulk and a fellow teammate holding onto the Confederations Cup and smiling into the camera. However, in the backdrop, fresh from a shower to clean himself after their victory, Diego Cavalieri can be seen sitting in the dressing room wearing just a towel, a towel which didn't do anything to cover up his modesty. Mm-hmm. An intimate body part was clearly on show, and um, this kind of sparked a bit of a media furore. He was hugely embarrassed about this, Diego Cavalieri, telling his wife that he was mortified when he got home. Um, and when he found out that his wife had been joking about the photo in a series of press interviews, he was so furious that this proved to be the final straw and he left her. Oh, my gosh. You, you can't really... help but feel there was more going on behind the scenes than just this. But, um, yeah, uh, just bizarre. Uh, I don't want to draw more attention to this photo on Diego's behalf because I know he's quite sort of embarrassed by it. But, um, yes, unfortunately, a bit caught out by that one. Wonderful. In terms of video game goalkeepers, for some reason, Farid Mondragon is very high up my list. He used to, he used to be employed as a, uh, a reliable custodian for, for various outfits of mine on, on video games. But I think Cavalieri, fantastic stories there. Let's move to left back, Arthur. Which video game icon will play there? So I, uh, after much deliberation, decided to go for Oranges 25. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Otherwise known as Wilfred Boomer. Okay. <laughs> this, was, um, this was on Pro Evo Soccer 2, released in 2002 and developed by Konami. It was a quirk that all Dutch players on the game were called Oranges and then a number. And that okay. was because Konami didn't hold the rights from the Dutch FA for use of the Dutch players. Mm. Uh, so Edwin van der Sar was Oranges 25. Johan Cruyff was Oranges 82. Um, I don't know why Johan Cruyff was on it. I'm assuming they had a retro mode. Where they yeah, could... they seem miles apart. But actually, there have been problems with the Dutch national team and licensing in the past. It's been the same on FIFA games, even like Euros and World Cup games, where you'd think they'd be keen to spread the word. The game also had unofficial club names. Um, unlike in Provo Soccer 1, uh, where they used obvious city names. They had Man United were Manchester, Real Madrid were Madrid. Uh, they now used very ambiguous names. So Man United were now Aragon. <laughs> uh, Liverpool became Europort. And West Ham were Lake District. <laughs> what? Just completely bizarre. There were also a few other classic names throughout the uh, the Prova Soccer franchise that i just like to mention uh we've got porn darry <laughs> okay <laughs> right that's paul parry in pro over soccer 09 uh, we've got <gasps> snake derrick <laughs> who's that that's stephen davis in pro oh, of course it uh, we've got law kit um no. roy Keane. 
in pros oh, in 2013. Right. Yeah. And then also, I'd like to just just uh, give Ronaldo some credit because in FIFA 2000, this is moving away from the Pro Evo franchise. Yeah. He didn't give license to use his name. And so they simply called him number nine. Oh, which I wow. That's a pretty power move. Um, that really is. Number nine up front. Um, but Wilfred Boomer, uh, who was affectionately referred to as Freddy by the Villa faithful, was signed in 2004 from PSV uh, to compete with the out-of-form J. Lloyd Samuel. He was a player who was renowned for his versatility. He played left-back and centre-back internationally. He played left-wing for PSV and he even partnered Ruud van Nistelrooy up front for them. Um, he initially struggled to establish established himself in David O'Leary's team in the 05-06 season due to injuries, but he recovered from his hamstring injury and new manager Martin O'Neill gave him a, a chance to flourish. He was hard as nails. He never shirked a challenge. He'd throw his body in the way of anything to make an all-important block. But then again, in 2008, during UEFA Cup qualification, he suffered horrific ankle dislocation, which kept him out for about six months. Eventually, a return to PSV would beckon, but not before Boomer said his goodbyes to the Villa faithful during halftime of the home defeat to Blackburn in their final league game. He intended to address the fans, but he said he just couldn't do it after becoming too emotional. And that apparently is a big, big regret of his. He'd become very, very close with the Villa faithful, and they certainly see him as a bit of a cult hero at Villa Park. Man, I remember that injury. That was horrible. Um, yeah, Wilfred Boomer, uh, an icon, really, of the sort of noughties Premier League era. Nice to hear he was as successful on Pro Evo. Playing alongside him, Andy O'Brien. <laughs> was, he, was he particularly iconic on a video game? Well, I ask you this question, Arthur. <laughs> How did Andy O'Brien make it onto FIFA Street? What? Yeah, it just it's the most incongruous partnership I think I've ever heard in my life. Was it his multiple step overs? It it must have been. It must have been. I mean, this was an exclusive club of players that made it onto this iconic video game. Typically those known for flair and skill. But a quirk of the game was that in exhibition mode, you could play as a national team, one of which was the Republic of Ireland. And they're obviously not really known for either of those two things. So that's how Andy O'Brien got into the game. He was a gangly, no-nonsense defender. Thoughts of him wearing a hoodie and Air Jordans in a kind of inner-city cage don't really feel like they should belong. He was ranked 19 out of 100, which sounds dreadful. It's almost um, like they put him on there for trolling purposes. Yeah, it sounds dreadful, but actually this was a, another slightly confusing thing about the FIFA Street ratings. In reality, he wasn't the worst player on the game at all. In fact, he had a higher rating than Martin Lawerson and Thomas Ufalusi, amongst others. Wow. When he wasn't pannering Ronaldinho on the PlayStation, O'Brien was carving out an 18-year career in English and American football. He played foil to David Weatherall in the heart of Bradford's late 90s defence. He was hero worship for a goal against Sunderland whilst playing for Newcastle. And he captained Bolton in the Premier League. 
before finishing his career at the Vancouver Whitecaps. And despite my earlier jest, I have tons of time for Andy O'Brien. Um, I think he was an old-fashioned defender in many ways. He was greatly respected by his teammates and gave everything for the fans. Um, and talking about that old-fashioned nature, the, um, the late Bobby Robson describes O'Brien's mourning of a 15-year-old G-Reg Saab that he used to drive to training every day. It was a banger the oldest car in professional football. No wonder the gearbox fell out. Andy Saab must have clocked up 267,000 miles. So I think he's like a throwback, if you like, Um, the sort of player who used to come to training every day without any fuss whatsoever and just get on with his job. And, And despite the fact that that and FIFA Street don't marry up, I kind of love the fact that in game, you could be Andy O'Brien doing the greatest skills in the world. Absolutely. A sort of man of the people in that sense and and very much at odds with Edgar Davids driving his Bentley down to the training ground at Barnet. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, I played FIFA Street a few times, but it was essentially... Am I right in thinking it's kind of you, you, you essentially play at this kind of in a cage? Yes, it's, it was five aside cage football, loads of outrageous skills. You were trying to build the kind of ultimate pickup game five aside team. Um, so obviously the likes of Ronaldinho and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo were the kind of icons that you wanted in your team. But if you started with Andy O'Brien, you could kind of work your way up. <laughs> Good old Andy. Uh, and partnering him in the centre of defence is Mark Fish. Oh, Fishy. Yes, brilliant. Good old Fishy. Good old Fishy. Uh, uh, and, and he's in for his role in the game Sensible World of Soccer. Oh, I've that? heard of that. Yeah, I, I don't know whether I've ever played it, but I've heard people talk about that as one of the kind of iconic retro games. Yeah, neither have I, but I just, I in in researching the game, it really does sound like an absolute classic and one that I think we need to purchase on the um, the 11 business account. Yeah. One of the all-time classic games is the sequel to Sensible Soccer, mm-hmm. uh, or Sensi, as it was known. Um, so we're going to call Sensible World of Soccer SWOS, S-W-O-S. Oh, yeah. uh, and that came out in 1994. It had... 1500 teams from around the world and over 27,000 players so for 1994 to, to me it just completely blows my mind how big that database of players yeah, yeah. is uh, and one of those players was Mark Fish in known in the game as W Fush <laughs> which I kind of quite like Fush Fush it's like uh his stats were eccentric to say the least all of the stats were out of seven uh, he had passing six tackling and control seven so a serious player mm. but his speed and heading were two and his <laughs> velocity what what even is that you've <laughs> already got speed so how does speed different for velocity velocity oh wow i don't know is that the speed he tries he to kicks? fly uh, yeah, he could fly. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, his velocity either way was one. So uh, not very good velocity. Uh, meanwhile, Shearer, Maldini, Del Piero, George Ware, they were all seven for everything. And that includes 
Maldini's finishing and Shearer's pace. Oh, of like, course. Like, so basically, they're like, is the player good? Yes. Right. Rank them high. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> it's bizarre. Uh, but the game had injuries. It had referees. It had cards. And all the genuinely brilliant managing environment that included a 20-season career mode, uh, which was ultimately incredibly pioneering. Uh, the gameplay and crowd noises were unlike anything that was seen before. And Fish, for his part, played at Jomo Cosmos. It's another niche South African team um, to add to the, the growing pile from the last couple of episodes. But then he arrived at Orlando Pirates, where his career really took off as a mainstay of their backline. He won several trophies. He was also part of a history-making South African national team to have won the African Cup of Nations at the first attempt after South Africa's readmission to FIFA in 1992. Uh, soon scouts came calling and he signed for Lazio, turning down interest from his boyhood club, Man United. Uh, and then he eventually signed for Bolton, becoming their highest paid player, mm. having 100 game spells both there and at Charlton. And Fish went on to gain a cult-like status amongst the Bolton faithful. He was backed up by his nickname, Fish, <laughs> the Big Fish, uh, at Charlton particularly. And there was also a particularly eye-catching headgear in the shape of a giant blue fish that was made available in club stores. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I just can't imagine there's a better name for commentators than mark fish there's just so much you can play on he let like a salmon actually exactly. i had a friend called harry fisher and we used to call him fish face oh. so just generally the word fish has so much potential doesn't it it's quite it's just satisfying to say as well isn't fish. it really is um and I, and I just like to to finish with a quote that i think sums up what sensible soccer was all about uh, it's from Dave Forbert, who was raving about what a great game it is. And he says, Champ Man was the slow burn addiction, the heroine of gaming, slowly sucking you in until all that mattered was getting your next fix. Things like sustenance, clothing, cleanliness, daylight and sleep all went out the window until you realised you were a skeletal shell of a man. A happy skeleton mind who knew the true transcendent bliss of leading Leighton Orient to multiple European Cup triumphs with Prince Arnold Latana banging in the goals up front. <laughs> but football, after all, is the cocaine of sports. An instant all-action hit for 90 minutes of pure highs. And there could be no doubt that Sensi was the crack of gaming, Love which I really that. like. It was yeah. it's just oh, it's all you need from a game. And I'm now just itching to play it myself. That's fantastic. I've um, I've grown recently incredibly interested in club cocaine. Lo- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> club logos. And um, I'm really intrigued by this one I've seen on Mark Fish's profile. He was a youth player in Pretoria for the Arcadia Shepherds. I think this logo is well (laughs) worth a look, Arthur. It's this kind of black and white sketch-like drawing of a shepherd with a sheep playing a Vuvuzela. Oh, wow. Yeah, really is something. Oh, amazing. Maybe is is a Vuvuzela originally intended to help herd sheep i really don't know that's a really interesting question one for our listeners i think at 11 pod um i also like the fact that the chairman of arcadia shepherds is called ricky manor and the manager is called lucky manor 
So I feel like maybe he is lucky because his his dad maybe is chairman. Um, <laughs> we love a bit of nepotism on the eleven. Playing at right back is Anthony Vanden Bora. Oh yes, our first football manager legend. Yes. What a guy! You're spot on. Six foot one, athletic, muscular, the world at his feet. It's no surprise that he was a football manager legend. But unfortunately, Anthony Vanden Bora would never reach his full footballing potential. And this potential was heralded on the game, uh, particularly in 07-08. He was available for a nominal fee from Anderlecht, uh, and he was a must-snap-up for any manager who soon evolved into the greatest right-back ever to grace pixelated grass. Could I just question what nominal fee means because I've heard that a lot does that just mean an insubstantial fee correct that's exactly how I was using it done fantastic definition solved moving on (laughs) within a few years Van den Bora would score perfect 20s for his first touch technique passing off the ball movement composure and dribbling whilst also scoring highly for his physicality. He was like Cafu on steroids, Arthur. Absolutely unbelievable on Football Manager. And let's not dismiss his achievements off-screen. Vanden Bora won six Belgian league titles. He earned 26 caps for his country and he appeared in the Champions League. But fans like me are still left asking what might have been And perhaps that's because of his lack of impact during a one-year loan spell in the Premier League. It was with Portsmouth in 09-10. His 19-game spell was punctuated by a red card, which prompted an iconic Chris Kamara commentary moment. I don't know whether you remember that one, Arthur. Oh, was he the one he did? Someone's been sent off, Jeff. I don't know who. (laughs) That's the one. He thought it was a sub. Um, Van der Boer also scored an own goal uh, and struggled to nail down a first team place in a season when Portsmouth would eventually be relegated. He then failed at a trial with West Ham after being told he was too fat before returning to Belgian football bar an appropriately bizarre four month spell in Congo with TP Mazembe. Oh. Owing to his pace and power, it's perhaps no surprise that a young Vandenbora was a video game star. Also in Pro Evo Soccer 4, Vandenbora was noted as a Master League must. Uh, and whilst on FIFA 08, he had an impressive career potential of 84. But I think if we had to rank where he actually got to in his career, it would probably be mid-70s. So um, definitely better in-game than off-game, but... Credit to Anthony Vandenbora for making it into the eleven, And he was, of course, at Anderlecht playing alongside Vincent Company before mm-hmm. the Man City move. Uh, and Vincent Company, likewise, was, a, was an absolute star in the making. Anderlecht was a hotbed of talent, I'd say. Absolutely. Today, we're broadcasting from Key Square Stadium. Hello there, football fans. I'm Chris James. And with me today in the commentary box is Terry Butcher. Over to you, Terry. I hope this episode is conjuring up lots of nostalgia for football video game fans. And just to take a break from our starting lineup, we're going to talk about a couple of games that are possibly the most niche and obscure that we could find on the internet. 
I'm going to start with Sean Dundee's World Club Football. What the hell? I know. What <laughs> even is that? 1997-98 was, for me, a wonderful time for video games. Um, it was when I would say football video games were starting to become more realistic and gamers were able to fulfill that fantasy, really, of taking a team through the various stages of a competition and making tactical changes, etc. And it was also a time that was iconic for its intro music for games. So a couple that I wanted to share with you, Arthur. First of all, World Cup 1998. Now, this game, for me, kind of made my childhood. I was probably playing it a couple of years after it came out. But this fantastic tune, the ability to play as all of the international teams, it was just an incredible, incredible game. I loved it. Did you play this one? Yeah, I think I I think I might have played it a few times. My issue growing up was that I, I only had a PlayStation One uh, and and was never I never really graduated on 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 after that. You know, I was into my football manager computer. Uh, but it would typically play all these games when I went to my friends' houses. So uh, probably yeah, yeah. played World Cup 98 at some point, um, but don't remember it well. Well, did you play this one? Ronaldo v Football. It was almost like a, a different cut of the 1998 World Cup, but purely from a Brazilian perspective, where Brazil were amazing and everyone else was terrible. Well, that was reality anyway, wasn't it? Pretty much. They didn't actually win the World Cup. That was That's very true. Very true. But, um, yeah, another iconic game from my childhood. But around this time, this was when Sean Dundee's World Club Football also came out. And it it wasn't a game that I ever played, but it looks suitably arcadey and retro. Uh, You could choose between 356 teams, including all from European major leagues. Uh, Hugely impressive, really, for a game of its time. But who the hell is Sean Dundee? Um, You might be wondering this. Well, LFChistory.net said Sean Dundee has become a running joke among Liverpool supporters, considered by many as the worst ever striker in recent times to wear the red shirt. Uh, And this article actually finishes with a quote from the manager who bought him, Roy Evans, who said, one player I do regret signing was Sean Dundee. He was terrible on and off the pitch. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, a perfect choice for this 11, actually. A hugely promising South African-born striker banging in goals for Karlsruhe in the late 90s. Uh, And somehow this was enough to earn him the endorsement on the game when it was released in Germany. But he flopped horribly in the Premier League after that. This game, in fact, seemed almost obsessed with weird endorsements. When it was released in Spain, um, the cover style was Kiko, and it was known as Kiko World Football. Kiko Naveyes, ever heard of him, Arthur? No. Yeah, I've got, his, I've got his poster on my wall. Oh, have yeah. you? Oh, fair yeah. enough. Okay, well, you must know more about this Atletico Madrid stalwart with an underwhelming goal-scoring record than me. Um, and it was also released as part of a promotion for Danon Yogurts under the name Danon World Football. So um, you might have heard of some of those. Puma, I think, also released... The game under their name so if you've played any of those let us know how it was but I mean I suppose it's like the equivalent of these days us having Ricky Van Wolfswinkle world club football Not oh I would people. buy that I would buy that yeah okay. yeah fair enough go Ricky 
Uh, and, and to add to the, the mix, I'd just like to give a nod to Peter Shilton's Handball Maradona. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, are those words, are, I know what all of them mean, but not yeah. in that order. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And basically, this was released <laughs> in 1986, the same year as Maradona's infamous controversial goal. And in my mind, it's just a brazen attempt from Shilton to cash in on England's misfortune and what he felt was his misfortune as well. What it boiled down to was a video game where you spend all of it as a goalkeeper attempting to save a series of shots as the computer plays out the rest of the match. So it's just, I mean, it's just looks just terrible. That, I mean, that can't be fun. I mean, you've got to, you've got to understand this was 1986. So potentially it was pretty cutting edge for the time to keep things simple. The action never strayed further than the final third of the pitch. There were 16 teams to choose from. Uh, Maradona wasn't even in the game. Um, but, but maybe that was that was by design as well. Peter just wanted to make sure that they used his name to say what a dickhead and not actually include him in the game. So there we go. Uh, and, and essentially, I feel like the game was just a series of annoying sound effects. This was the one that played when you conceded. And this was the one if you saved a shot. And to me, if you like mix them together, it just sounds like the shittest dubstep track ever. It's like, <laughs> like honestly, it, it, was, it was a very, very budget game. I don't know what the sales were like. It's rated two and a half stars out of five uh, on Wikipedia, which I think gets it from some game geek or something like that. But yeah, Peter, you've really let yourself down with this one. Uh, Do get in touch to tell us what was going through your mind when you you proposed this game. Um, And I hope he plays it on the daily. Returning to the 11, and on the left side of midfield... It's Tonton Zola Mukoko. <laughs> Do you remember that name? No, I've not a clue, but he sounds uh, like he'd be really good on a management game. He really does. Championship Manager 01 was okay. the, uh, yeah. the game that Tonton featured heavily on. Nice. He was born and raised in bustling Kinshasa, a mega city with a population of over 11 million. And a young Mukoko enjoyed a happy childhood in a normal family setting. He spent most of his days on the streets of Zaire, now Democratic Republic of Congo, where he watched older kids play football. Mukoko's life was then turned upside down at the age of 10, when tragically both of his parents died. He was encouraged by his older brother to join him in Europe. And so Stockholm proved to be his next destination. And he, by this stage, had developed a, a huge talent for football. And he, he ended up playing for Jurgarden, uh, which is a Swedish side. He accelerated through their youth ranks. And at the age of 15, a number of European teams expressed an interest in signing the highly rated teenager. He eventually settled at then Premier League Derby County. And that's where Championship Manager Scouts first took notice. Uh, He had enormous potential and could be signed as a 16-year-old for just 500k. It was during a friendly against Rushton and Diamonds where he would experience his first encounter with fans of Championship Manager. He says, lots of people crowded around me after the full-time whistle just because they wanted my autograph. I was thinking to myself, why are they doing this? My teammate, Ian Everett, then came over and said, 
Tonton, you are one of the biggest players on this computer game. He showed me how to play and I kind of liked it. <laughs> so the now 38-year-old still apparently receives phone calls from admirers on a daily basis. He says, they tell me how I made their lives better, even if it was through a computer game. A guy once called him from Australia to speak about his failed relationship with a former girlfriend. It turns out they <laughs> broke up because he was playing too much championship manager. He even calls her Tonton because of me. I don't like why calling his girlfriend a nickname from <laughs> just bizarre. Um, no surprise. There was also a time he arrived at Passport Control in Malaysia, which is where his wife's originally from. He said, when we landed at this airport, I handed over my passport to, to the officer who was controlling the gate. He said, what? Are you actually Tonton? No way. It turns <laughs> out he was a big fan of the game. I just, honestly, the guy, the guy became an absolute legend because his potential was so enormously high and he could be signed so cheaply. I think this was a recurring theme in, in, in games where you could sign young players. Obviously, you know, Freddie Adu, his story goes without without saying there was Nicholas Milan a 14 year old you could sign from Colo Colo okay in, uh, in football manager or something um but but when you can sign such a young player and their potential is so high they almost become an automatic purchase at the start of the game devastatingly for Tonton in addition to his parents his brother died after being poisoned back in Congo and that was really the downfall of his career he said, after his death, football was not important to me. I could not concentrate anymore. It was really tough because Fedo was the one who took me to Sweden. He helped me so much. So to find out he had died was too much for me, really. He didn't then play football for two years and his career subsequently uh, faded. Uh, the good news is he's now back in football as an agent. He's helping to get Swedish prospects into professional football. Uh, on his books currently is promising Huddersfield winger, Gullet Zunder. Uh, so hopefully he will he will continue to thrive in the game that he could have been so brilliant in, but but poor guy had an incredibly unfortunate uh, series of events. Yeah, really horrible story. Poor guy. Um, if you enjoyed playing with Tonton Zola Mukoko on these management games, I will also point you in the direction of the Facebook group. Tonton Zola Mukoko Appreciation Society, um, which is described <laughs> as follows. Tonton is the biggest Swedish export since ABBA and Tord Grip. Feel free to exchange stories of your favourite Mukoko moments for your team. And there's just loads of people posting about him in their uh, football manager seasons, so championship good. manager seasons. Even. Yeah. Love it. Okay, let's move into the centre and another player that comes up time and again on championship manager blogs and forums. Sixto Peralta. Yes. Again, it just rings a bell, but it must be through the video game, not real life. He was okay in real life. Yeah, I'd say a decent player. Uh, he was a sleek, gliding dribbler from Argentina whose career took him to Romania via Suffolk. Um, it was actually in 1999-2000, so the year before Tonton's breakthrough, that Peralta was particularly good. He was an easy pickup from Racing Club in Championship Manager, aged 20 and already ranking at 19 or 20 for pace, technique and determination. One of those hard to quantify things, isn't it? <laughs> 
So it's no wonder Ipswich fans were salivating when they loaned him from Inter Milan just two years later in real life. Despite Ipswich's relegation from the Premier League that year, Peralta marked a real highlight for the fans. He scored three times in his 22 games. He became known as Mumo. Peralta played with finesse and grace, but his bedraggled, scruffy appearance looked like more of a street footballer. He had this kind of long, curly hair, and often his shirt would be too big for him and his socks round his ankles. As much as the fans loved him, Peralta loved playing for Ipswich. He said, the people were unbelievable with me. All of the people in the stadium were amazing and the fans were great. This was one of the best years of my career for sure. And this is evident with what happened at the end of his loan spell. Despite the club's relegation, Peralta was so desperate to stay in Ipswich and so certain that he would, in fact, that he left his Audi in the club car park before returning home to South America for the summer. So when he was told that a permanent deal would no longer be possible, the car remained in the car park for two months after the start of the season before he asked a friend to drive over from Italy and pick the car up. (laughs) So poor old six, though, did have to move on from Ipswich um, and he never reached the potential laid out for him by championship manager, despite the fact that he had that cult following He played well into his 30s. Probably the most notable spell of his career, actually, was in 2008-2010 for CFR Cluj. I mentioned he went to Romania. He helped the club win three league titles and three cups, as well as appearing in the Champions League group stages in a game against Chelsea, which Cluj would narrowly lose 2-1. So, yeah, I'm really fond of Sixto Peralta, to be honest. I'm, um, I'm glad we've managed to get him into an 11. And certainly he was the sort of name that will make video game fans salivate. We aim to make our listeners salivate. We do. Yeah, <laughs> that's how we judge how good an episode is, is how much saliva is produced throughout. <laughs> and alongside him in the centre of the park is Matteo Briggi. <laughs> I very faintly know that name. And I think yeah. I know what game you're going to mention. It's FIFA 03. Yeah. A classic. The, the, uh, the rentings and... on that game were so random. I, yeah. I remember playing that. That was one of my kind of favourite PS2 games for way beyond the year. And you could build these just bizarre career mode style teams. I seem to remember that in the career mode, there wasn't really an exchange of money. So you basically just kind of bought whoever you wanted effectively. It was well, the best players in the world. Or well, I suppose it had to be, they, they had to want to sign for you. I know there wasn't any kind of vetting of that. So you could literally oh. just bring in like brilliant players. It was quite oh, bizarre. Fantastic. I, I wish it was still like that. Uh, as a Juventus midfielder on loan at Bologna, Briggy had the world at his feet in 2001. Uh, He was named one of the 101 best young players in the world by Don Ballon. 101? Yeah, I don't know. It's like the Dalmatians. Maybe it was because because it was 2001. So they were like, we'll give one extra. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, And in 2002, he was named the Serie A Young Footballer of the Year. He had been considered the next Fernando Redondo. He possessed excellent technique, passing and ability to set the tempo of his team's play in midfield. 
he was quick, hardworking, and very much noted for his excellent movement off the ball. And all of this meant that, incredibly, this relatively unknown midfielder was the highest-rated player on FIFA 2003. <laughs> he had a 97 rating, which is the franchise's second-highest-rated player of all time. Uh, only Ronaldo has beaten this, and it's never been matched by either Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi. Second and third that year were Oliver Kahn, 95, and Edgar Davids, 94. Uh, for context, Thierry Henry was 91, Marcel Desailly, 90, Gerard and Beckham, 89. Uh, another few incredibly random, highly rated players were Pascal Sigan, 90. <laughs> Uh, that's it. That's above John Terry, for example. Uh, Lee Bowyer, 93. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, but Briggy was shy and tended to avoid the spotlight. This was a bit of a recurring trend in his career. A quote here from Emmanuel Gamba, who wrote in La Repubblica in 2000. He said, indeed, Briggy is a really timid one. He doesn't speak, but whispers. He moves as if he should always ask permission. And he was part of an ultimately unsuccessful youth recruitment drive at Juventus uh, that included Vincent Pericard, (laughs) uh, who was discarded after trying to chat up the vice president's daughter, Uh, Andreas (laughs) Isaacson, uh, the Swedish goalkeeper, and uh, released Irish Middlesbrough midfielder Ronnie O'Brien. Oh, goodness. Uh, I was reading about O'Brien and discovered hilariously that he was part of a vote hijack at the end of 1999 for Time magazine's Person of the Century. (laughs) They were running a poll and the Irish hijacked the poll, causing O'Brien to lead it above Albert Einstein and Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, After the poll crashed due to attracting too much traffic, Time removed O'Brien from the running, restating the rule that whimsical candidates will not be counted. Oh, man. That's such a near miss for O'Brien. It really is. Briggy had injury problems. He very much, and get your bingo cards out here, could very much have been in the unfulfilled potential 11. But he still went on to amass 525 appearances with 11 clubs on average less than 50 per team, uh, 34 goals, 13 assists. His main contributions were made during a spell at Roma, where he made over 100 appearances and won the only major piece of silverware of his career, which was the Coppa Italia in 2007. Mm. Uh, This was a period where he threatened to rediscover the form that made him such a sought-after youngster. Um, But... In all, it was really a career that didn't come close to living up to that FIFA-hyped potential. I just think for for him to be like a sort of promising youngster, one of the best youngsters, you'd still be surprised if his rating was anything more than 90. Yeah, Yeah. it was 97. It's just baffling. I think that is one of the best picks that we've had in the 11 so far. Yes, at 11pod, the word, not the number, have you used Matteo Brighi to great effect in... FIFA 03, or maybe this player on the right hand side, Park Chu Young. Oh, was he was he the Arsenal Park? 
that is absolutely right. He was, yeah. and he was a legend on pro evolution soccer, pro evolution soccer. I mean, I really wanted to get someone in from Pez United, to be honest, someone like an Espimas or a Castolo or a Gimelez or a Valeni. I just loved using that team. Um, but as much as they were iconic, it was the youngsters that were coming through that were also a, a key component of any Master League side. As a youngster, Park had so much promise. By the time he joined Arsenal for nearly six million, he'd already scored 76 professional goals, including a 12-goal season for Monaco and an impressive 15 goals for his country, South Korea. It was therefore unsurprising that the brains behind Pro Evo 6 rated him so highly. He was capable of playing anywhere across the front line. His overall peak rating was 92. He had pace, an eye for goal, and he caused countless problems for oppositions. Many controllers thrown at the screen in disgust because of Park Too Young. Um, and so much so that he made joe.co.uk's best pro evolution soccer 11 of all time but arsenal fans are probably listening to this dismayed and disappointed his signing for the gunners in 2012 was an unmitigated disaster in two years he played just eight minutes in the premier league and scored just one league cup goal he was advised by new national team coach hong myung bo to leave the club if he was to remain in the national team picture uh, he was released in 2014 and John Durden would compare Park's move to Arsenal as the worst call to answer since Colin Farrell picked up a New York public phone in phone booth and endured a few hours of misery. <laughs> Thankfully, Park would get his career back on track in his native South Korea, but his career with the national team was all but over. Gaming is, is huge in South Korea. It's worth mentioning this. So he was a bit of a legend there too. It's almost an obsession. They have these things called PC bangs out there, which are almost like meeting place arcades for multiplayer gaming. And oh. esports are also enormous. So I would say, despite Park Too Young falling off a cliff, let's focus on Kangin Lee, who is a Valencia youngster at the moment with incredible potential on recent FIFA games. Hopefully he fares a little better than Park. Absolutely. The South Korea international team is looking, looking pretty damn good at the moment with, uh, with Son. Mm. Uh, hopefully they'll impress at the World Cup. Another random one for Diddy Play there as well was his two-game loan spell at Watford. Did you yeah, I had no idea that that happened. <laughs> so random. No goals still, but uh, still a, a plucky effort from Young Park. And I also quite enjoy the fact that he's, he, he's a Christian, and he writes Jesus Christ next to his autograph and has said, the first and main reason why I play football is to evangelise people. <laughs> wow. That's really bizarre. Can you imagine if, I mean, I know I've got a number of autographs kind of stashed away in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. If I was flicking back through, I might think I've, I've actually managed to get Jesus's <laughs> autograph. That would be impressive, wouldn't it? That would be a real turn up for the books. Yeah. More news on the injury, and Jeff Shreves is the man in possession of the information. He went over his ankle, he's a game player, so I don't think that will take him off. Cheers, Jeff. So one of our strikers today 
is up for grabs. We've got a couple of nominations for that, but I have the other one and I've gone for Yaya Sonogo. <laughs> yes. I've actually seen him put in one of the best performances of his career for it was Charlton against Reading. His hat trick. Yeah, he was unbelievable that day. He just he just absolutely tore apart Reading, but sadly I think that might be the only team he's torn apart. And yeah, Reading yeah. did win that game. We so um, that game. so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't let this 11 come and go without his inclusion. In Football Manager 2011, he was an absolute must-buy. Uh, the 17-year-old Ozair striker could be signed for just a few million, uh, was six foot four, and would go on to develop 20 for finishing composure and strength. He was simply the perfect target man. And he was also an essential component of my Swansea outfit, where a dynasty was created. And he became a multiple Premier League FA Cup and Champions League winner. He spearheaded our strike force alongside another generational football manager talent in Lee Griffiths. <laughs> <laughs> Lee would help himself to at least 20 goals, five seasons in a row. Our defence was good, but we would simply outscore teams. Uh, with this iconic little and large partnership. It's safe to say he didn't even come close to replicating his digital counterpart's success in real life, despite getting the chance to join Arsenal in 2013. I think Arsene probably used Football Manager as a scouting database. I think quite a lot of clubs actually do that. Yeah, and I think there's so much crossover. You're now beginning to see across Europe championship manager players becoming part of the coaching setup at at professional clubs because so many of the skills and and statistics are you know completely (laughs) I don't know the word I completely agree Ben yeah Uh, he only scored a single goal for the Gunners obviously that incredible loan spell at Charlton where that hat-trick was his only goals. Um, but <laughs> he was dubbed Sonogol by the fan base, um, which I thought was clever, but not quite in the realms of David McGoldrout. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then he was released on a free in 2017. He is still only 29, but there are already plenty of reasons to ask what could have been. He was a free agent from July 2020 after scoring 16 goals and 72 appearances for Toulouse but joined Huddersfield in February 2021, where he played nine, he scored none, and he missed a penalty. At 22, whilst on loan at Ajax, Ronald De Boer was particularly cutthroat in saying, when I see Sonogo, I still have my doubts. I have still found no qualities with which you can do something. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I think Frank De Boer thought Sonogo had potential, but Ronald, his assistant, was just like, nah not having any of that. So it was disappointing, another unfulfilled potential, but did he really have that potential? But maybe just the coders at Football Manager were sort of under the impression he was going to be good, but he wasn't. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that they've looked at his international record. I don't know whether you you saw this, but it is actually remarkable. He's played for France at under 16, under 17, under 19, under 20 and under 21 level. And his goal record, 18 in 18 for the under 16s, 9 in 16 for the under 17s, 2 in 9 for the under 19s, 
five in 10 for the under 20s, five in eight for the under 21. So consistently brilliant for his national team. Who I was thinking he hasn't got a call up. True, but I was thinking when he was like when it was sixteen, his his levels were very very high, and then it did slightly tail off as we're going. I got I got a bit better towards the twenties and twenty one, yeah. but yeah, but but potentially you can see a huge potential already beginning to slightly tail off. Yeah, um, I think that physique and ability to hold the ball up well was what every team really wants. Mm-hmm. Um, but he ultimately just didn't really have enough talent to fulfill that potential. Right. Yeah, yeah. He needs a strike partner. And that's where the 11th man comes in. Up for grabs is your second striker today. Um, and as usual, we're delighted to have nominations in from a couple of special guests. I'll start. It's Marlon Anthony. Now, Marlon is a football video game connoisseur. Um, He's got 25,000 plus subscribers on his YouTube channel uh, and he posts some fantastic clips of of him playing the games on Twitter as well. You can follow him at MarlonAnthonyYT. Let's see who he nominates. Although he made it no secret, the decline in his exciting young career was due in part to the demons brought on by the premature death of his father, Adriano was not only tipped to be the natural successor to Ronaldo as Brazil's powerful premier frontman, older football gamers certainly won't forget the influence he held on Pez. It's an understatement that Adriano was one of the strongest players in the history of Pro Evolution Soccer. The cover star of the 6th edition notably, with a maxed out shot power, Adriano found himself in the elusive class of 99. A category of players who had a certain attribute maxed out. Adriano's cult-like status on the PlayStation 2 editions of Pro Evolution Soccer will ensure his legacy will never be forgotten. Yes, I'm unsurprised it's a Pez pick. That is the speciality (laughs) of Marlon. And how could we forget Adriano? I mean, he was in our unfulfilled potential 11, Arthur. So crossovers there, but shot power. I mean, of course he's got to be in there, right? Unrivaled. I completely agree with that pick. It's going to be difficult to uh, oust on the pole because he's such an iconic name. But we'll do our best via the second nomination from Oliver Zeziger, who is the Switzerland co-head researcher for Football Manager. So he is tasked with various things which he will explain and also nominate a player. So I'm the head researcher for uh, Switzerland for Football Manager, co-head researcher, I must say. I'm responsible for the playable leagues, which means the Super League and the Challenge League, which consists of 20 teams plus under-21s, under-18s and under-18 B-sides. That's a lot of work. Uh, We luckily have 20 dedicated researchers, which take on one team or multiple teams and uh, I cannot tell you how much time it takes let's say for example this summer we have a league format change coming up for next year which has to be implemented into football manager 23 and that takes a lot of time and gives us a lot of headaches but usually I am at the end of every researcher's work and I check if the player ratings are fine with me if uh, there could be uh, could be things that could be improved. 
So Johan van Lanten has quite a career behind him. Um, he was once touted as a future superstar. He had a career, unfortunately, riddled with injuries. Um, he did step down from football early uh, at, in his late 20s before coming back again in Switzerland. He once uh, joined a religion, a church, who prevented him from working on Saturdays. So it's not really great for a football player. His career did not live up to the hype he had once. It sounds absolutely fascinating that you can you can have that ultimate say in how players are rated. Of course, I think Johan von Lanten was an absolutely iconic name an enormous ceiling of potential and in the game, a great signing, but he just, again, was not quite as good in real life. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Marlon and Oliver. Let us know if you do want to nominate someone at some point at 11 pods, the word, not the number. I'm going to throw another name into the poll, Arthur. Ibrahima Bakayoko. Yes. He was, was he champ man again? Yeah, champ man again, getting a lot of coverage this episode. Uh, he was known as Backer Joko by Everton fans because he was an almighty flop when he signed for the Toffees for 4.5 million in 1998. He managed just four goals in 23 games. But once more, he was a legend on football games, particularly in the 1997-98 edition of Championship Manager. The Ivorian scored 18 for both pace and shooting, meaning he was devastating on the counter-attack. And at just 20 years old, he had massive room for improvement. Again, this prediction of success seems unfounded. He had a modest start to his career at Stad Dabijan in Ivory Coast and then at Montpellier. And he would conclude his career at Stad Bordelais in the French fourth tier. So, um, yeah, the statisticians didn't quite get that one right. But Ibrahima Bakayoko is in the poll. A superb shout. And another one, Championship Manager 0102, is Toe Madeira. Oh, yeah. I, I know the name, but I'm not quite sure why. Have I read it? Yeah. Well, I think um, that particular iteration of the game seemed to have all the gems. Uh, and one who was very much hidden away at Club Desportivo de Gouveia, playing at district level in Portugal was Tomadeira. Okay. He was a 22-year-old striker with pace, finishing, technique, superb vision. He had it all, and 50-goal seasons were genuinely quite regular for him. Uh, Connor Heffernan from Pundit Arena wrote, you can imagine my surprise then when it became apparent that my young Portuguese prodigy hadn't been signed by a top club in real life. For years, I waited for Tomadeira to announce himself on the world stage, but sadly, my young brain had not yet discovered the truth. And that truth was that young researcher Antonio Lopez, whose promising youth career with Gouveia had been halted early, had inserted himself into the game as the world's greatest player. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not even real. Not even real. So Tomadeira wow. was actually Lopez's nickname growing up. And uh, the truth was only discovered when Sports Interactive started receiving calls from clubs asking about this Portuguese superstar. And sadly, uh, Lopez was then outed as a, uh, a bit of a, a fraudster and, uh, and the character was removed from future games. But he did get to live out 
all of our dream, really, which is that you are a player who is thriving on the world stage. I think we've all, you know, editing modes of these games, it's always possible, but to actually make it so everyone gets to play as, as, your, as you and you're spearheading people's teams all around the world. Uh, absolute dreamland for Antonio Lopez. He dared and he... <laughs> and he dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Love that story. So Adriano, Johan Volontan, Ibrahima Bakayoko or Tomadera, you decide the final name in our Nintendo 11. Lots of names that narrowly missed out, of course, but Arthur... I only had one name, and that's Thomas Dawadowski. Okay, yeah. Uh, Niche, but for some reason he was a striker. I think he might have played for like Lech Poznan or something like that, or Vizsla Krakow. And he was a star on my Total Club Manager 2004 team. This is a game that I think is criminally overlooked and needed to be mentioned in this podcast a really great managing game where you got to play as the team, but also manage the team. And it was, it was a precursor to FIFA. I think excellent. It also, this one had Martin O'Neill as the cover star. So a real classic. That's brilliant. I'll also throw in another game. I used to enjoy uh, champions league 99, 2000. Love that one. And Michael Moles was always my star striker for Rangers. Um, don't know why I remember that. I think he scored five goals for me in one game once. There we go. Oh, fantastic. To run you through the team then, in goal, we've got Diego Cavalieri. Left back, Oranges 45, otherwise known as Wilf Boomer. Centre-back pairing of Mark Fish and Andy O'Brien. On the right, we've got Anthony Vandenborough. In midfield, we have Matteo Briggi alongside Sixto Peralta. On the left, Tonton Zola Mukoko. On the right, Park Chuyong. And up front, we have Yaya Sinogo alongside a choice of yours. Head to Twitter to vote. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.